I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I have developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Our reading of the Gospels is in chronological order, so what we do is we take each of the Gospels, and as they weigh in on a particular occasion or incident in the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus, then we read all those Gospel accounts that concern that reading for that particular occasion. So today we'll be looking at passages in Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 through 46, Mark chapter 11, verse 11 through chapter 12, verse 12, and Luke chapter 19, verses 41 down through chapter 20, verse 19. In this passage, we're going to see the following timeline in Jesus' ministry. Uh, He's in and around Jerusalem, and these events that we're going to see today take place during the week preceding his crucifixion. First, let's read Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 through 17. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased, and said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have ye never read, Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? And he left them, and went out of the city into Bethany, and he lodged there. Now the same occasion in Mark, Mark chapter 11, beginning with verse 11. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple, and when he had looked around about upon all things, and now that eventide was come, he went out into Bethany with the twelve. And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. And they come to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple, and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple, and overthrew the tables of the money changers, and the seats of them that sold doves. And would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer? But ye have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it, and sought how they might destroy him. For they feared him, because all the people was astonished at his doctrine. And when even was come, he went out to the city." Now over to Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 19, verse 41. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, 
and compass thee round, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. And he went into the temple, and began to cast them out that sold therein, and them that bought, saying unto them, It is written, My house is the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And he taught daily in the temple, but the chief priests and the scribes and the chief of the people sought to destroy him, and could not find what they might do, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. Now these events, as I mentioned, take place within the week prior to the crucifixion. We find three different perspectives here from the gospel writers on the same series of incidents, the events that take place. Matthew is the briefest of the three accounts. He gives a brief overview of the fig tree incident, including the actions of both days involved into one short account, which he summarizes in verses 18 to 22, verses that we'll be looking at in just a few moments. The sequence of events regarding the fig tree obviously appeals to Mark, so he gives the details of exactly what happened on the preceding day. That was when the actual cursing of the tree in verses 12 through 14 took place. That was leading up to the observation of the cursing in verses 20 to 26, which we'll be looking at in a few moments. Luke, on the other hand, reports Jesus' lament and prophecy over Jerusalem before entering into the temple. Based upon the accounts of Mark and Luke, two incidents actually took place just prior to the entry into the temple. Those were the cursing of the fig tree and also the prophecy over Jerusalem concerning its destruction. So, are these actions by Jesus related, or are they to be taken as two unrelated activities on the same day prior to entering the temple? Well, we'll look at that question further in the next section when we get down to it in just a few moments. Uh, by the way, let's take a closer look at Mark 11, verses 13 and 14 to clear up a point of confusion. Here's what 13 and 14 say. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Now the phrase, for the time of figs was not yet, that phrase has caused a great deal of anguish among Bible scholars. Now, here's the simple reality. Figs were on the tree in March, and some were ripe enough to eat. However, it was not yet time for the spring harvest of figs. You'll notice the presence of figs on the Jerusalem tree in the photo that I've provided uh, to the right of the written notes of, of this page. That photo was taken in March of 2004, and you'll see figs on the tree. Now, incidentally, if you'd like to see a complete annual cycle of figs on the fig tree and leaves on the fig tree, then click on the link that's on that page, and I'll give you the uh, pictures that were taken back in 2004 to show you when figs appear, and you'll see that it's twice a year. Meanwhile, back at the temple, it's deja vu all over again. Remember back in John chapter 2, verses 12 to 25, when Jesus tackled the corruption in the temple? Well, this time's a little different. He's just ridden into Jerusalem and has been identified by the people as the Messiah. The Jewish leaders are there, but they're powerless to do anything. Look at Matthew chapter 21, verse 15. It says, And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, 
and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. Now, only Matthew reports that spontaneous outburst by the children and the healings in verse 14 that prompted it. I mean, this is just more than the temple bigwigs could stand. So they call upon Jesus to rebuke these children, but Jesus simply quotes Psalm 8-2 when he says, Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise. With these words, Jesus has just acknowledged to these Jewish leaders that he is indeed the promised Messiah. What had started out as a typical pre-Passover business day at the temple for these Jewish leaders ends up with an intolerable twist. Not only does Jesus disrupt this disgraceful selling of sacrifices by overturning their tables, but he's subsequently perceived by the little people that are present in the temple that day to have complete authority as the Messiah to have done exactly what he did. All three accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, record the words of Jesus as he quoted Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7. He did so in Matthew 21, 13, Mark 11, 17, and Luke 19, 46. That's where Isaiah prophesied these words, Even them will I bring to my holy mountain, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar, for mine house shall be called an house of prayer for all people. Now, that prophecy of Isaiah is particularly interesting in that Isaiah 55 and the first eight verses of Isaiah 56 deal with the fact that the temple will become the center of worship for Gentiles as well as Jews in the coming kingdom age. Only Mark adds this international flavor to temple worship in his quote of Isaiah. Now, one more point should be observed regarding this temple incident. This was not get in fast and get out fast. This was an action on Jesus' part that took a little bit of time unfolding. You'll notice from Mark's account in verse 16 that Jesus apparently stayed around long enough to enforce some reverence for the temple that day. Mark also points out in verse 19 that Jesus stayed in the city until even was come after teaching doctrine, verse 18, to the people. Obviously, this was Jesus' time to fulfill prophecy. Now, in this next section of Scripture, we're going to take a closer look at the barren fig tree, looking at Matthew chapter 21, verses 18 to 22, and Mark chapter 11, verses 20 to 26. First, Matthew 21, 18. Now, in the morning, as he returned into the city, he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only. And said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done, and all things whatsoever we shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. Now over to Mark chapter 11 and verse 20. And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter calling to remembrance saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. 
For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. And when ye stand praying, forgive, if ye have ought against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. Well, only Mar- Matthew and Mark here deal with the fig tree incident. Matthew more briefly than Mark. As a matter of fact, Mark is very detailed in pointing out that the actual cursing took place prior to entering the temple. We see that in Mark chapter 11, verse 14. The observation of the results took place the next day. Now, some deduct more implications from this incident than others. Is this a simple demonstration of the power of faith, or is it something more? With an observance only of the accounts by Matthew and Mark, one might be led to understand that this incident is just a lesson on faith. Certainly one of the strongest declarations on the power of prayer is found in Matthew 21-22, which says, And all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. As certainly as Jesus had caused the fig tree to wither, so shall our prayer life be empowered when faith is present. Many teachers today have linked the fig tree here to Israel. Jesus causes the fig tree to wither because it did not bear figs. Likewise, many teach that Jesus passes the same judgment on Israel because of their rejection of his Messiahship. To others, that may seem to be a significant overreaction to this incident. However, it should be pointed out that while Matthew and Mark are reporting the withering of the fig tree... Luke is reporting within the same time frame the Jesus citation concerning the blindness and rejection of the Messiah up in Luke chapter 19, verse 42, which we read a few moments ago. And that's as he's prophesying over Jerusalem. Within this prophecy, he pronounces the total destruction of the temple, which actually took place later on in 70 A.D. While none of the gospel writers make the linkage here, It is undeniable that the cursing of the fig tree took place at nearly the same time as the prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem. Perhaps they even took place within the same discourse at the same time. Well, maybe the fig tree incident is more than just a lesson on faith. You make the call. Incidentally, you see more when you read all the eyewitness accounts simultaneously, don't you? Let's add one more piece of evidence to the fig tree incident here. Jesus had given a temporary reprieve to a fig tree in his parable of Luke chapter 13, verses 6 through 9. In that parable, Jesus seems to be comparing his appeal to Jerusalem with the nurturing of a fig tree. Also in that parable, if the fig tree did not bear fruit within the year, it was to be destroyed. Jesus specifically references three years in that parable, presumably the same length of time that Jesus had been reaching out to Jerusalem. There are some strong indications that the fig tree in Luke chapter 13 is a metaphor for Jerusalem and Israel, and that the dresser there is Jesus. 
That consideration seems to add strength to the notion that the cursing of the fig tree here, just prior to the crucifixion, has linkage and significance. The year of Luke chapter 13, verse 8, well, that year is up. If you'd like to see more information regarding the expectations of this fig tree, whether or not it should have had figs in March, then see the discussion in the section preceding this. And also uh, click on the link below the photo, the photo that's on the written page of BibleTrack.org to see the annual cycle and when figs appear on fig trees in Israel and when they don't. In our next section of Scripture, Jesus gives a parable dismissing Jewish leadership. We'll be looking at Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 to 32, Mark chapter 11, verses 27 to 33, and Luke chapter 20, verses 1 through 8. First, Matthew 21, 23. And when he was coming to the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I in likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, whence was it, from heaven or of men? And they reasoned within themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did ye not then believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, We cannot tell. And he said unto them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whether of them twain did the will of his father? They say unto him, The first. Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him, and ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterward that you might believe him. Now we go over to Mark chapter 11, beginning with verse 27. And they come again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, there come to him the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, and say unto him, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority to do these things? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I will also ask of you one question, and answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. Was it from heaven or of men? Answer me. And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say, Why then did ye not believe him? But if we shall say of men, they feared the people, for all men counted John that he was a prophet indeed. And they answered and said unto Jesus, We cannot tell. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now over to Luke chapter 20, the same event, verse 1. And it came to pass on one of those days, as he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes came upon him with the elders and spake unto him, saying, 
Tell us by what authority doest thou these things, or who is he that gave thee this authority? And he answered and said unto them, I will also ask you one thing, and answer me. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say, Why then believed ye him not? But, and if we say of men, all the people will stone us, for they be persuaded that John was a prophet. And they answered that they could not tell whence it was. And Jesus said unto them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. Well, we see here that as Jesus enters into the temple to teach, a particularly troubled bunch of Jewish leaders, they approach him asking by what authority he's doing these things. This Jesus visit has been pretty tough on these guys. Jesus rode into Jerusalem as royalty, and he was in fact received that way. Then he reclaimed the integrity of the temple, and now he's teaching there. A day or two have passed now, and Jesus is still there teaching, and he's teaching to the people openly. I guess they figure that somebody's got to do something. So questioning Jesus' authority in front of the people is pretty much a starting place. However, it's hard to go head-to-head with God incarnate. Jesus here invokes the name of John the Baptist. Here's the deal on John. If Jesus is the Messiah, then John the Baptist must be the forerunner, the prophet prophesied in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, and Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. In other words, Elijah. Every Jew knows you better keep your hands off of Elijah. In other words, it's a trick question. If they make an admission that John the Baptist is indeed the prophet of Malachi, the one that was prophesied back in the book of Malachi, then the Messiahship of Jesus is the logical conclusion. Of course, they decline to answer that question by saying, we don't know. Hey, they were pole-driven leaders. They preferred to be the stoners rather than the stone-ees. Yeah, I got that out of Luke chapter 20, verse 6. Kind of had to glean it from that verse. They never liked John the Baptist, but they knew the people did regard him as a prophet, and he proclaimed himself to be the forerunner of the Messiah. Unfortunately for them, John the Baptist and Jesus arrived in the same package, the forerunner, John the Baptist, and the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Then Jesus gives a parable which cuts these guys, these Jewish leaders, to the quick. Only Matthew reports it. The obvious beneficiaries to the kingdom of God under the Messiah, they've turned out to be uninterested, that is, if Jesus is that Messiah. Jesus explains that the kingdom is not dependent upon these Jewish leaders' acceptance. God will include in this kingdom those people who were previously thought unworthy by these hypocritical Jewish leaders, And these Jewish leaders, well, they'll be excluded. In other words, these Jewish leaders aren't worthy. But the people they've harassed and belittled, they are worthy. So here's what makes this parable and the explanation by Jesus even more damaging to these Jewish leaders. Those marginalized people that have been marginalized by the Jewish leaders, They're listening to this exchange between Jesus and these Messiah-rejecting hypocrites. So the common Jew who has received the message of the kingdom of God is likened to the son in this parable who first declined his father's request, 
but then subsequently changed his mind and accepted. Whereas these Jewish leaders are likened to the son who said he would, but then he didn't. Then we have a follow-on parable, another parable, the parable of the wicked husbandman. It's found in Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 to 46, Mark 12, verses 1 through 12, and Luke 20, verses 9 through 19. First, Matthew 21, 33. Here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a winepress in it and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandmen took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. The last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. When the Lord therefore the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? They say unto him, He will miserably destroy those wicked men, and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their season. Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same is become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say unto you, The kingdom of God shall be taken from you, and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on the stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude, because they took him for a prophet. Now let's look at what Mark chapter 12, beginning with verse 1, has to say. And he began to speak unto them by parables. A certain man planted a vineyard, and set an hedge about it, and digged a place for the windfat, and built a tower, and let it out to husbandmen, and went into a far country. And at the season he sent to the husbandmen a servant, that he might receive from the husbandmen of the fruit of the vineyard. And they caught him, and beat him, and sent him away empty. And again he sent unto them another servant. And at him they cast stones, and wounded him in the head, and sent him away shamefully handled. And again he sent another, and him they killed, and many others, beating some and killing some. Having yet therefore one son, his well-beloved, he sent unto him also last unto them, saying, They will reverence my son. But those husbandmen said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance shall be ours." And they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. What shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the husbandman and will give the vineyard unto others. And have ye not read the scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they sought to lay hold on him, but feared the people, for they knew that he had spoken the parable against them, and they left him and went their way. And finally, Luke weighs in on this in Luke chapter 20, verse 9. 
Then began he to speak to the people this parable. A certain man planted a vineyard and led it forth to husbandmen and went into a far country for a long time. And at the season he sent a servant to the husbandmen that they should give him of the fruit of the vineyard. But the husbandmen beat him and sent him away empty. And again he sent another servant, and they beat him also and entreated him shamefully and sent him away empty. And again he sent a third, and they wounded him also and cast him out. Then said the Lord of the vineyard, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. It may be they will reverence him when they see him. But when the husbandmen saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. What therefore shall the Lord of the vineyard do unto them? He shall come and destroy these husbandmen. And shall give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, God forbid. And he beheld them and said, What is this then that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. Whosoever shall fall upon the stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And the chief priests and the scribes the same hour sought to lay hands on him. And they feared the people for they perceived that he had spoken this parable against them. Well, in these three passages, here's what we see. Jesus seals the disapproval of these Jewish leaders by topping it off with the parable of the wicked husbandman. And by the way, those Jewish leaders include these Pharisees. These Jewish leaders understand, in verse 45, we see this, that they are the wicked husbandmen in this parable. They rejected the prophets, that would be the servants in the parable. They rejected the prophets before, and now they're rejecting God's own Son, who is, in this parable, the heir. He quotes Psalm 18, verses 22 and 23, when he says in verse 42, Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the Scripture the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This psalm is prophesying the rejection of the Messiah. Yes, the kingdom of God, the messianic rule, will not include these wicked Jewish leaders, but rather it will include the common man instead. Well, naturally, they're steamed. But they're powerless to take Jesus by force because the people have acknowledged Jesus as a prophet. Specifically, the people believe that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Moreover, by... Speaking this parable and quoting Psalm 118, 22, and 23, Jesus is absolutely proclaiming that he is, in fact, that promised Messiah. And all the people heard that. The Jewish leaders, well, they're outraged. But all three accounts end with the observation that they feared the people and were thus powerless to take Jesus by force. Incidentally, in Matthew chapter 21, verse 43, we seem to catch a glimpse of the New Testament believer when Jesus says this, Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. The Greek word for nation there is ethnos. It's a word generally used to describe Gentiles. Today, God is manifested and glorified through those who have trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, and that includes Gentiles and Jews alike.
Now, let me ask you a question. Is it just me, or does Matthew twenty-one forty-five strike you as a little bit funny also? Here's what it says. And when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. <laughs> hey, guys, uh, what in the world makes you think he's talking about you? Well, okay. Jesus continues these parables in Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14, which we'll be looking at in our next New Testament reading. And that will be the third parable in this series. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walker.